love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's easy, especially when we think of our neighbors as our friends and family. But what do we do with those people that we really don't know anything about? The Human Family Podcast hosts conversations with guests from local religious and cultural communities to explore a more complex narrative of who our neighbors are in the greater Santa Barbara area. Welcome to the Human Family Podcast. My name is Kenny Chisholm, and I'm your host. This week, I'm joined by co-host Kunjal Patel, and we're talking with Art Cisneros, who's a Chumash elder and firekeeper. He shares about his family's history with this land and how life here has changed over the past 75 years. We'll also hear about his practice of prayer, how he situates himself as one of many living beings in our universe, and how that informs his message of forgiveness and changing the world through relationship. This episode is quite different from most of our episodes, both in audio quality and in structure. We recorded this outside, so you'll hear the sounds of my east side neighborhood, and we hope that that adds to the listening experience. As far as structure, today's episode is more like storytelling, with a few reflections sprinkled in. After a brief welcoming ceremony, Art began our conversation by bringing out a map of the area, which is where we'll be picking up. Grab a cozy cup of tea or a cool glass of water, and enjoy our time with Art Cisneros. I was going to bring some visuals, but since you're here, I wanted you to get an idea of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. This is a map that was prepared by UCSB, Hmm. Uh and it shows the Chumash territory. Wow. You can change it or turn it so that you can see it. I already know a little bit about it. And you can start recording whenever. So the map that I'm presenting is 740 square miles of Shumish territory. From up at the top would be the rock at Morro Bay, San Luis County, and Malibu, Los Angeles borders. Ventura, Santa Barbara, San Luis are basically the country. Mm-hmm. It extends to what you might call the Santa Maria River, and beyond that, the Carrizo Plain, which is now a national monument. Mm-hmm. And the number of villages, these are all villages, hundreds of villages. And they even tried to determine the population, which was gathered from the artifacts. Uh, mm-hmm. what they call the midden, which would be able to be uh, carbon dated mm-hmm. to determine the length of time. So what had not been destroyed by previous explorers determined that the population existed here for more than 15,000 years. And even before that, I happened to be working in a place and uh, one of the professors was doing some work and was taking some samples mm-hmm. his determination was it was more than 20,000 years so we're becoming to have a better understanding of the length of time the museum of natural history has actually created a book called prehistoric man of the coast and i got a copy of that gift from a friend and i started reading it and <clears throat> This exploration that began in 1542 or something, the first Spanish explorers that just passed along, also kept journals. 
and the book had some of the journal entries. And one of them that I just found fascinating was what we now know as Dos Pueblos, were two villages called Mekyu and Kuyamu, and I'll point those out in a minute. Mm -hmm. That's the Dos Pueblos. They didn't stop, but what was interesting in the entry was that the little tomol, the canoes, stretched for three leagues. And in nautical terms, you know, that's almost a mile. That's a lot of canoes. So the estimate of the population between these villages was, was over 1,000, maybe 2,000 people in one group. We have tried to bring the people together on several different occasions, but we were just sharing earlier about the separation of the people from the land and, and how it created division among the different bands of native people living in different villages. Mm -hmm. So to give you an idea, there was maybe 50,000 Shumish people living speaking six different languages or dialects and got along quite well. Had commerce among not only all these people but as far south as Mexico and up north to northern northwestern mm -hmm. United States and of course inland. And I've spoken to some people when I was in Hawaii and an old man, one of the last carvers of the canoe, the koa, he was there, and I started chatting with him. He said, where are you from? And I said, well, Santa Barbara. And he said, oh, the people from Santa Barbara. I said, yeah, Shumish. Oh, you guys, you've been here before. <laughs> the navigators of the Pacific were, were, were exploring way before the, the history books and the anthropologists uh, mm -hmm. have determined. So the culture was vibrant. It extended beyond this little boundary here and it had influence. Our western gate that we are responsible for, which is Point Conception, has been acknowledged all the way across the states. Turtle Island knows that all the souls of the, of the people of Turtle Island pass through this gate to go to the spirit world. Wow. And so our responsibility was to make sure that that can happen. Mm -hmm. So in the 70s, there was a big occupation because the liquefied natural gas uh, terminal was going to be placed right there. So all the people showed up like Standing Rock, hmm. yeah, way in the back. We've been doing this stuff for a long time. And um, they didn't build it there. We got a lot of support from the local people, people that saw that it was necessary to protect it. Mm -hmm. So that's just brief history of where I come from. I belong to my mother's clan of the Shumish people, which is up the creek, which you might know as Montecito Creek. Mm -hmm. And there's two forks. One goes Cold Springs Creek and then Hot Springs Creek. Mm -hmm. At the confluence of those two creeks is where my grandma lived. Uh, mm -hmm. My grandma Rosa Romero and her family lived there. And I know this from my mom who told me stories confirmed by an, another elder from a village just down the creek, mm -hmm. Shalawa. Uh, Marcus Lopez can attest to what was going on. So the community was quite large and vibrant way back. I was going to share with you a bit about what you had asked me about, about the polarization of, of our community, the division, the separation, the the, the angst that has caused us all to not trust each other. 
and to see each other as someone other than the people. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's who we are. We are the people of this place. So thank you so much for inviting me to share a bit of what I might know, what I've learned, and what I hope uh, the people who listen to this might begin to understand. You haven't posed any questions to me in the moment. I'm just sharing a bit of what's coming to me immediately. And part of that is to, to let the people know where I learned what I know. Hmm. So I learned most recently that I came into this world with sacred prayers. I didn't know that when I was four years old, wandering the creeks in San Inez, my grandpa had built an adobe house where the Shumash community is now in Santa Inez. Where the casino is, my grandpa built an adobe for one of the members there, Francisco Flores. And my uncle told me the story of how it was built because he was there as a little boy mm -hmm. and, how, and how they did that. They built another one, which is where they're going to build a museum. That's where I lived when I was four years old until I was 12. And there was no freeway. There was, there was only 400 people living in the whole town. And everything was rural. There was, there was big ranches, not the subdivisions that you see now. So I would wander the creeks. And this is where I learned a lot about my connection to the, to the land. This story may sound a little bit difficult for some folks to understand, but I had a playmate that no one else could see, <laughs> Willoughby. And I didn't know where that name came from or anything like that, but once I became educated, I lost contact with him. And that occurred when I started to go to church. My parents were Catholics, and so I was raised uh, in San Inez and went to Mission Santa Inez and was so inspired by what religion and spiritual practices do for the people that I wanted to know more about that. I became an altar boy. I learned the Catholic dogma. I learned, I taught catechism. I thought I was going to be uh, not a priest, but maybe a brother, you know, belong to a, one of the groups of people that taught. My first year in college, I changed my mind. I met people who were from other places, from mm -hmm. India, from South America, and had different spiritual practices. And it came to me, they're not going to go to heaven because they haven't been baptized. <laughs> and how silly that thought became. You know, once I started to understand, they were just ordinary, wonderful, beautiful people who had a different perspective and a different way of celebrating our creation and why we're here. We are all the same. And that's where I want to introduce the original teachings of all indigenous people that were taught to me, not only by my Shumish elders, but elders from around the world. I've been blessed to have been invited to uh, meet people. So my college education ended up one year. I got a job, I was only 16 when I entered school, I was way too young, Cal Poly, and um, very competitive, School of Architecture, and I completed one year and, and knew that wasn't for me. And by golly, I got a job with a civil engineer who said I could, I could learn and be paid for everything I learned. So by the time I was 18, I was making a lot of money and didn't go to school. And I got 
drafted in 1966. That was the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. And in the induction center in Los Angeles, there was a Marine Corps representative who convinced me that I would be a surveyor in the military. All I had to do was sign up for one more year, which I did. I attended an army mapping school, a cartographer, which gave me a military occupation status of a map draftsman. So I wouldn't go to war, right? Well, that didn't turn out to be the case. <laughs> My expertise was needed and I volunteered in place of two other people. One was recently married and the other one was going to have a child. Mm -hmm. And I was single, unattached, and so I thought, oh, I'll, I'll do that. I probably won't ever volunteer again. What came to be was the lessons in how difficult it is for people to get along and the fact that human beings teach each other to hate yeah. and to destroy and to disrespect um, each other. Yeah. So I guess I had to learn that lesson so I, I wouldn't repeat it. And I would teach others and anybody that I knew that was going to be wanting to go in the military, I would counsel and try to convince them that you don't want to participate in the death and destruction of other people or other cultures. And that took some time to <clears throat> resolve post-traumatic stress disorder. is something that I didn't understand until I failed in a number of marriages and relationships and drugs and alcohol and all that kind of business. My cousin came to rescue me, my first teacher, Tadachi Muhuwit. And I went to hear, at his invitation, an elder, grandfather, oh my gosh, Lakota. Grandpa Wallace Black Elk uh, was presenting in the Midland School up in San Andreas Valley, and I showed up intoxicated. I was not in, uh, and I'm prevented from entering. I was taken by my cousin. He said he would be responsible. When I went to the last chair at the very back, Grandpa started to speak. And I can't say it either way. He opened my heart. And I knew that I had to do something else. <clears throat> and it was um, such a moving experience that I wanted to learn more, not only from Grandpa, but also from my own teachers. It put me on a road of discovering around the fire ceremony, songs, language, and I have been on that road ever since. So I've been very, very, very fortunate in the teachers that I did have who led me to other teachers. I spent several years with Grandpa Wallace in his ceremonies when he came to Los Angeles. He had a group who supported him called Maka Oyate. And, uh, I would carry a big drum down to the gathering, and Grandpa really loved that big drum, so he kept asking for it every time he was in L.A., so I, I got to share that. So I was invited to uh, his ceremony for Vision Quest, called Emblacha. I gotta remember these names correctly. And it was the most profound experience to see an elder 
not only conducting the ceremony, but also with his awareness of everybody on the mountain. And he would call attention to, oh, go look at so-and-so, they're having some trouble. And sure enough, when we got there, they needed some assistance. So he shared, showed me, and shared, what it is to be connected to the world that we know as the natural world mm -hmm. in an intimate way and in conversation with all that is there. I have been invited by the Shumish people to participate in ceremonies and helped create a ceremony on an island, which is called Lemu. Everybody knows it as Santa Cruz. And so I was asked to create the sacred fire, sacred space, and conduct ceremony there for the people for the weekend. No fires are allowed out there at the time, and I had to convince a ranger. And I did, and we became very good friends. And eventually the superintendent of the parks blessed our ceremony because he was really scared that she was going to call it all off. Mm -hmm. We'd have done that for 20 years now, and uh, I will hope to be invited to do that again after this particular uh, difficulty that we're all having and traveling and gathering. I was invited to Onondaga. Uh -huh. There's a group of very wonderful people, American Indian Institute, and they hold gatherings every year, and they've been doing that for 40 years when I was participating. Warren Lyons was on the board and other elders. Uh, Joe Medicine Crow, who received a Medal of Honor from the president. And an elder that I met, Ungongok, who is uh, our uncle from Greenland, mm -hmm. invited to his ceremony, fire and ice ceremony, to celebrate the melting of the ice in Greenland. Uh, the celebration was that Greenland will be green again. The problem is that all the ice that melts will go into the ocean and the sea level will rise. So in the 70s, he traveled the world, every major country, United Nations on several occasions, to share this information. Even was asked by President, Vice President Al Gore, wrote a book, Inconvenient Truth, and asked Gongogok to endorse and he said, no, the elders are telling me that you did not do what you were told, you know, that you are still continuing the same processes that are destroying our planet. So I cannot. Big, big, what's the word? Confirmation of what we already know. Yeah. We know that we have been disrespectful of the natural law. We have presumed, assumed that our mother is a natural resource. The spiritual conscience of our, of our mom is, is a being that needs to be respected. She's a living being, and we are supposed to be taking care of her. Yeah. And instead, you know, we consume, 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 yeah. and in the process, destroy our future. I was also in attendance at a gathering of prophet keepers, and it seems that we're all on the same page. Indigenous folks realize the, the, the change that will either um, be for our enhancement and our continuation is at hand. Mm -hmm. It's also a short trail to the end of everything. Yep. We are at that turning point. We've been there for several years, but yeah. it's very, very close to uh, what they call a collapse. Mm -hmm. I even brought an article about that uh, from the LA Times of last week. 
So the science is now up to snuff. They're, they're catching up. But we've been trying to tell them for hundreds of years, and most recently through these interactions with governmental bodies. When you asked me about our separation and the polarization and the division among the world's people, mm -hmm. it comes from that. It comes from our disrespect of the natural law and what we were originally obligated, responsible for, which is wherever you are, you're responsible for. So the people here were responsible for taking care of this place. The people in India were responsible for taking care. And so it is around the world. And everybody knew that. Yeah. I've been told and from one of these profit keepers, we used to gather up. What we call telecommunications was, was something that was done around ceremony. And we could be in contact with the people of the world. So all these things uh, are still possible, and they are being done. I get messages from Hawaii. Oh, did you know? Or from some other place. Some, one of the wonderful people that has been sharing a lot of this information with me is from uh, the Maya tradition. Uh, Jose Munoz, timekeeper, and he is new messenger for this area this part of the northern continent with the new calendar and the information that's contained there that will tell you how it is it's we can proceed in a good way so the information to bring us together is at hand it is our responsibility to share as much of that information as possible with everyone because mm -hmm. we need some some insight we need some help how to proceed in order to put it back together. The Kogi people call it recapitulation, to put the world back together again. But it necessitates each of us to learn how to be in good relations. And one of the precepts in the message that I uh, was, was privileged to hear, we have to come together as truly brothers and sisters, you know, same family, the mm -hmm. human family. And we have to do it in a way that is of benefit and acceptable to everyone. Yeah. So we have to get over whatever fears we have about each other. The only way that I have been able to see that happening, and which is also part of the message, we have to forgive each other for whatever miscommunications, misinformation, uh, bad action has happened in the past. Yeah. I have, in my own heart, tried to forgive everyone that I have offended. And I've asked forgiveness from all those who have offended me. So it's a reciprocal. We have to forgive each other for whatever the heck, I'm just going to start swearing, <laughs> has preceded us. Yeah. Each of us has a story and a, a connection. We have the ancestors who are here. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're, they want us to be happy. All of the ancestors want us to be happy, healthy, and to share with each other everything that we can to take care of the world again. Yeah. So, if we can love each other, and so we forgive each other, then we can love each other as brothers and sisters, and then we can do the work to not only unite but to put the world back together again. Another part of that wonderful message was to pay back the debt. 
and I've written a bit about that in my own little perspective in a magazine called Moon Magazine. And what it is, is we've been taking without asking, mm-hmm. without getting permission, from the beginning of a culture that creates more wealth than is necessary. Excess or surplus. Yeah. Exactly. So when we do create the surplus, it's not to hoard, it's to share. Yeah. And so sharing turns out to be something that is difficult for people in this culture to understand. Yeah. So that's part of what I've proposed uh, in this little writing. The toka, the evil that is in the world today, uh, this is from Grandpa Wallace, is greed. If you want more than you need, that's greed. We also need to give back some of the debt that has been taken. This is, this is what is represented in all kinds of different ways. One of the largest or most visible ways is um, measured by the stock exchanges around the world. All the resources, all that has been taken and used to create wealth is represented there. Mm-hmm. So that's as much as we have to pay back. Can you believe that? The wealth of the world needs to be put back to our mother, to each of us to share with our families so that we can all be healthy and happy again. Yeah. This will create peace and harmony on the world. Mm-hmm. Real simple, huh? <laughs> well, we're just beginning to bring this idea back into the world. I'm hopeful that everyone that listens to this message will understand that whenever we can begin the process of giving back more than we consume. The traditional way would be if if you needed to build a house, you would go to the plants and ask permission, and you would give an offering to those plants. And that you could use that. And then you would give back and plant or put something back to make it better than you left it. So these are things that just common sense. If you are in relationship with your mom, if you really want to take care of her, you're going to listen. You listen to the water. Oh my gosh, there isn't enough water. Well, then maybe we ought to start looking at why we've disrupted the cycles of water. Mm-hmm. Dams are a big deal. That's that's blocking the artery right there. And indigenous around the world will tell you that there is a, a cycle of water. It's really prevalent here. It's really obvious here. The cycle begins in the ocean, goes to the mountains, and comes back down through the creeks. Mm-hmm. That's the cycle. The beginning and ending of the cycle is where those creeks enter the water. That's where you'll see these villages. An intimate relationship with the cycle so that you understand Oh, we're not having enough water. Maybe we ought to move, or maybe we ought to ask for some more rain. And those things were possible back in the day when we were in relationship. We can communicate with the spirit of water. Ask forgiveness for maybe some things that we did that weren't in good relations. And then give back, pay our debt in the moment. Yeah. So for the human beings to pay that debt back now, it's going to take something. (laughs) Extra work, right? <laughs> but but we can do it. Yeah. 
if if we get the word out there that hey we're going to start gathering up and putting putting things back together to pay our debt yeah so that's an overview in a, as jiffy quick as i could do it so you know who i am why i'm here and what i believe can be a way of resolving our differences and bring us together again without fear i'm not saying that's going to be easy i can't even have a, a friendly conversation with some of my relatives <laughs> so how can i expect you to go back to your home and, and uh, convince everybody that hey we're on a new path we're going to put the world back together we're going to create peace and harmony <laughs> okay <laughs> now people are going to and they do laugh at me sometimes but i believe it yeah i believe it with my whole heart and i'm here because <clears throat> i need help thank you for inviting me thank you so much for for listening uh, and i may be deviating from your uh, original plan but it's a beginning for describing <clears throat> what separates us there's very few people who are on the path of of uh, reconciliation of, of trying to amend what has been disrupted mm. but we can continue and i really am appreciative of all the other faiths in this community who have invited me to participate i think together we understand that we each have a congregation or a group of folk that we can teach mm -hmm. that might even listen to us and and believe and understand that it's time to assume our responsibility as the caretakers of our world yeah any questions <laughs> i think as I was listening to you speak, I felt like I was listening to my own elders growing up. Oh, right. So I, I think that feeling of instilling in the next generations of gratitude and responsibility and, and taking care of the, the earth and of each other, that's not that's actually a common thread. That's something that we all exactly. all have, exactly. right? And exactly. and it might come to us in different forms, but I, I was getting goosebumps just listening to you because I was like, this is what I grew up hearing and this is what I believe and what I try and pass along to other people as well. So it's nice to be able to have this format and this conversation to, to again, see those, those similarities as opposed to the differences, right? So... That's what really moved me when Rabbi Cohen, the first meeting of the uh, Human Family Project, was very inspiring. Yeah. And I, I was just looking around, wow, I finally found my place, yeah. you know? Kindred spirits who yeah. believe that uh, it's time for us to come together yeah. as one family. That is so, so beautiful. Yeah. You know? And there's a, a prayer that actually we say that is giving thanks and asking for permission about the land. And I was taught, you say it every morning before you get up and before you walk on the earth. So I'd be happy to chant that Ooh. as well. Yeah. Okay. Very important, yeah. our awareness of what yeah. is being shared by the natural world. Yeah. When we go walking, I mean, I, I led people into the wilderness mm -hmm. and it's wonderful to introduce people into how a lot of folks just want to run up the trail. Yeah. And they do. Yeah. 
and I would wait. We first of all have to ask permission. We're entering into the home of our relatives, our relations. And so I always uh, make sure that everybody, you know, gets in a spiritual mode. Okay, we're going to ask permission. Mm -hmm. And we're going to make an offering so that all the spirits know that we're here to listen to them mm -hmm. and to share whatever we have as a gift. And I always carry tobacco, of course, and let everybody make their offering into the... We always go to begin a, a journey uh, into the water course. So all these trails, they begin at a creek or someplace. So that's where you begin. Mm -hmm. The cycle of water, the, the water itself, is the life force. This is where the life energy is, and so you want to talk to that. Yeah. And all the beings that live from that water will listen. And so you can make an introduction and it'll become more available to you. Amazing things can happen when you're walking in meditation, mm -hmm. listening to what's being presented. <laughs> Amazing things. Yeah. I've been really moved here. Each individual person is special. Mm. I truly believe that we are all part of God. The prayer that I just began a while ago begins with, the spark in the great mystery in God is the same spark in my heart, and it lives forever and ever and ever. It is what binds us together as a human family. We are all part of God, and so we have to honor that. My, my true name, or my spiritual name, I mean, I've been given a, a, a name when I was born. I'm John Arthur Cisneros, mm -hmm. and my family referred to me as Art, so that's what I use. But when I was in business, you know, when I was working and in school, it's always your first name. You're yeah. John. Yeah. And so I found out that in a previous lifetime, people knew me as John a long, long time ago. And so, you know, that's okay because I, 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 have, I have a significant understanding of who I was in that previous lifetime. Mm -hmm. or who I was connected to. My name translates my spiritual name. <clears throat> I am the earth man with a good heart. And the Shumish word is like really long. I am... Uh, <laughs> and I thought I was going to be, you know, standing bear or something, you know, flying eagle. No, you're the earth man with a good heart. I went to a gathering at Standing Rock, and this is not during the occupation, but a celebration afterwards. And there was a huicho from Mexico, and we were sharing a cigarette. You know, we, we smoked, and he saw that I smoked, so he came over. And through the translation, <clears throat> he asked who I was, and I said, Soy el hombre de la tierra con buen corazón, corazón. And his eyes lit up. Yo también. Yo soy an earth man with a good heart. Yeah. It, it turns out to be how we can identify ourselves as connected to the earth and sharing our heart to in communication as well as in our relationships. So it's it's common. Yeah. I'm a common guy around the world, <laughs> I guess. Well, it's pretty... It's I think that anyone who probably spends... 30 minutes with you will recognize you as an earth man with a good heart. 
Yeah. Certainly. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Certainly. Thank you. I'm doing okay then, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. You're you're living up to your to your name. So the path that you describe towards healing seem to me to be deeply spiritual and baked into many religious traditions. I mean, you've spoken about a commitment to responsibility. You've talking talked about, of course, compassion, even a sense of discipline, and a commitment to truth. And those all of these things seem to strike me as themes that that show up over and over again in religions worldwide and it's hard to do those things and that's why they're talked about i think in in religious spaces because these are things that are i believe part of us but they can be hard to cultivate Mm. because our natural bent can be towards hoarding because sometimes we feel insecure about whether we're going to have enough and that manifests itself in so many different ways but to be committed to taking care of those around us and not hoarding wealth and resources and food for ourselves can be really difficult. And I'm interested in hearing about maybe a practice that is important to you to help you cultivate the kind of person that you want to be, to be the person who can take part in healing the world. Wonderful question. I do a daily practice which gets me connected and reminds me of my responsibility to to do that, to help heal the world. A while back, I had a reading, a psychic reading, from a prominent local lady named Pam Osley. She's written books about reading auras. Mm-hmm. So my cousin recommended her. He had gone to her, and she really helped him see some of the things that aren't able to be seen. So one of the things that she did tell me is the ancestors, the spirit world, I'm here to help heal the world. That's that's what I'm here to do. And when I first heard that, I go, holy moly, uh, how can I affect the world? Well, uh, it turns out one person at a time. It took me 10 years to come up to that one understanding every ceremony including the one that we just began is a healing we are sharing information to help us understand how to get along with each other Mm -hmm. so we've already dispelled fear about each other we won't we won't have to uh, get worried about how we're going to act or what we're going to say yeah it's all okay So the daily practice that helps remind me of that is the prayer I shared with you. I do this every morning, and when I wake up in the middle of the night, I say my prayer. And it begins with uh, the invocation of, first of all, the recognition of that I am a spark, Mm -hmm. that I am part of God. So my perception is I can affect every other spark. But it begins with me, I gotta light up. My spark has to be bright uh, to, to have an effect on anyone else so that they can see me and not be afraid. So the, 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 the prayer, I actually wrote it down, I will call out to this spirit world and all of our relations not only here, but throughout the universe. 
So I will call not only the ancestors, but the sky, the stars, the moon, the sun, as well as our mother earth, the consciousness of those energies, those beings. We come from the stars. We're made of stars. I, I actually saw myself as stars at one point in a ceremony. We call on everything that we are on this planet from wherever we are. So here, I call on the energies of the east where the sun rises. And from the north where it's cold and the wisdom that comes from that. And of course, the western gate where all the souls go. I want to invite the ancestors to come be with us. And from the south, where, this, where the people of the south take care of, of the southern hemisphere, I call on the elements themselves. Uh, I am probably more intimate with the fire. That's who I am. I take care of the fire. The element of water, which runs through all of us, which is part of the ocean. I am, I am part of that, of the water of the world. Each breath measures my life. I can, I can only hold my breath for, you know, a very short time. A reminder that we're here as long as we can breathe. We're breathing animals. So the wind plays a big part in my connection. I want to be able to sing on occasion. <clears throat> we are made of the earth. We are literally everything that's in us comes, you know, we can break this down into molecules and eventually atoms. And all those atoms of carbon and, and all the other things are here. And even some of the books, you know, the Bible. And then God made, you know, from the mud. I call on all of our relations in, in the wind. You know, the, the eagles and the hawks and the owls and the hummingbirds. Everything that walks on the, on the, on the land, the bears, the wolves, uh, turtles, snakes, creeper crawlers, <clears throat> and all living things that are green, specifically oak trees and tobacco. The stones that we call stones are actually ancestors, ancient ones. There's several ceremonies that actually use these first people of the world to, to suffer for us again as, as hot stones and to create ceremony around what the Lakota call the Inipi ceremony, a sweat lodge is Inipi ceremony. It's the stone people lodge. That's what it's about. And here we, we have a, a place called, people used to call it Tamascal, the Mexican people. But here we had Opioc, which was an underground chamber. So I'm, I'm calling all that I know and some of those stones, we can also make a sacred pipe. And Lakota do it, and I think around the world people do it. You have to be real intimate with that stone. Mm -hmm. And then there's all the people of the world. I invite everyone. 
So there's words in the Shemesh language, which I have recited, to describe the yellow people, the people what we call the eat from the east. Our uncle Anganga would say, the people of the east, the yellow people, are responsible for making sure that the rising sun is yellow. And then you hear that the Japanese, you know, they have on their flag the rising sun. Oh, that's interesting. The white people, the people who are like complected, are responsible for the daytime when the sun is at its zenith and everything is without shadow. You're supposed to take care of the day. And the red people were supposed to take care of, of the, the setting sun. By golly, where the sun sets, that's where my western gate is, you know. And the black people are responsible for the night. Uh, they're responsible for making sure that everybody is safe at night, just like you're responsible, everybody's safe during the day. And so, so we're responsible for um, different things because we come from different places, you know, north and south and all that. Everything that you see is um, green. So anything that grows, it's green, you know. That includes moss and, and things in the water, everything green. And blue, these are the predominant colors of the life force, you know. So what we see is, is blue sky or blue water is a reflection, really, you know, spectrum of light changes when when there's an atmosphere and all that. Um, when I do my prayer and I'm, and I'm calling to the sky, it's not what you see is blue. It's actually black. Because off the off planet, when you're in the void, uh, it's dark. If you've ever been there. <laughs> And uh, you can see that at night. The stars themselves are fire. The sun is really a ball of fire. Mm -hmm. Okay. So <clears throat> when I say fire, I'm, I'm talking about the fire in the center of the earth, the fire in the sun, and the fire in all the stars. Okay. We're much bigger than what we think we are. <clears throat> so in the invocation, I'm inviting creation to listen, to be witness, so that I can communicate with all of it in the moment, whatever ceremony that I'm doing, or just a prayer that I'm putting. There are special occasions when, when we want to take advantage of the alignment of celestial bodies. So the summer solstice, the winter solstice, the equinoxes are moments. Also full moon, mm -hmm. uh, new moons. Whenever there's an alignment that creates an opening, all these things are, are part of what's sacred and our relationship with the sacred empowers us. So I need to know what's going on in the universe and how we're in relationship with it all to be able to help heal those parts that are not healthy. 
when there was fire in the foothills here. I heard that we <clears throat> we misused fire. <clears throat> um, part of the natural law says that we should never use what's been given to us as human beings by the star people. One of that gifts was fire. The star people gave it to all of us, all the colors of the world, with the, with the condition that you can never use it to harm another. So when gunpowder was invented, when it was used to make armament, that was the beginning of a terrible fire, which culminated in nuclear weapons, which will destroy us. Now, there's a wonderful group called the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation here, which, you know, what a wonderful group. Uh, David Krager is a wonderful being. To let everybody know that it's our responsibility to put out those fires is, is disarmament and changing the law. We're just now arguing, I heard it today, in the impeachment of our ex-president that firearms is, is like a real evil in our country. We're one of the only countries that allows everyone to carry a firearm. Mm -hmm. We got to get rid of that real quick or we're going to destroy ourselves, period. And we are. We've been seeing it done and yet they won't change the law. So every day I look into something and then I ask forgiveness. So when the fires were going on, I was asking forgiveness from the fire. Please, please forgive us for misusing, not taking care of, you know, the fires around the world. And be kind and gentle to us because it has to be, it has to do what it does in order to remind us as well as to uh, take some of the energy that we create and disperse it, mm -hmm. I guess is the way. So we've neglected the, the water, you know. So the fire reminds us. Uh, floods remind us. And the prophecy is we will be destroyed by fire and water. My God, we've, it's happened here. <laughs> and still we persist. Mm -hmm. You know, the uh, engineers and the local Governments want to make it easier for the waters to flow. But they haven't talked about talking to the water and offering to the water and becoming in good relations with the water and stop um, using so much, consuming so much, and to take care of the cycles. You know, why are we creating dams when we know that it disrupts the flow? Yeah. And it actually harms all the creatures that live there. In my lifetime, you were talking earlier about what's happened to this world in my lifetime. As a little boy, I could go fishing in a creek. San Inez River had salmon running up and down it. And then they built the dam. No more salmon, no more steelhead trout is what it's called. My uncle said when in his lifetime, this is barely in the 1900s, 1920 something, it was still flowing and in the Santa Cota Creek right behind the casino, 
that creek you could put your hand in and grab a salmon, a steelhead, when they were coming up and down the creek, jumping out. Yeah. Pick up the fish. When we um, talk about how fast we're disrupting these natural cycles, I'm only 75 years old. And I, I remember when all this was flowing. Kachuma Dam wasn't built until 55, I think it was. There was a dam up above Gibraltar, but that wasn't as disruptive. It's a small, it's, you can, you know, it's real small. Mm -hmm. And there's another little dam up above that, Hunkal Dam. And that's all silted up, so it just flows over the top of that one. But there was a moratorium on our consumption the moratorium was on building, and this was in the 70s. We had reached our limit. There was not enough water for any more houses to be built. But greed came to the fore, and the local community decided to buy into the aqueduct system that transports water from the Sierra Nevada. There's a big canal, mm -hmm. and they paid for the community's from here all the way to where, on the other side of the San Joaquin Valley, I think it is, where you can tap in. <clears throat> called the South Coast Conduit. And the people who wanted that to happen were the developers, the people that, oh, we need to grow more. Why do you have to keep growing more? <laughs> the population was stable, and nobody else could build, or, so, you know, that was it. And it would have been that way for quite, in all the Southern uh, California. This is a desert south of us. You know, that's a desert. So that was, that was part of our overconsumption mm -hmm. leading to a water shortage today, you know? Yeah. Our mental concept of, of man-made laws. We're on the books for so many acre feet. They didn't ask the mountain to create another thousand acre feet to sell services. They should have been looking at how the, the changes in the environment are melting the ice, and it's not coming back the same as it did before. Glaciers are falling apart. Uncle was trying to tell us about that years ago. Yeah. So how do we change people's perception of what's possible and what just ain't gonna work? Um, if people would be listening, you know, to common sense, and we live in a desert, there's no water, I guess we can't build any more houses, we can't invite more people to live here. Yeah. Just common sense. Our mental aspect has changed that. We can create it. We can, we can, what's the word? Change the natural world to fit our need. That's, yeah. that's sacrilegious in my perception, you know? Mm -hmm. So, we've got a lot of work to do to change our perception of our natural world and our relationship with it, and how not to exceed limitations on what it is that we can and can't do. The article I was going to share with you, which is entitled Collapse, describes what's going on right now. And science now determines that our biomass, which used to be a whole bunch, is now mostly human-made biomass, yep. human beings, livestock, all that kind of stuff that we've created, but it's, but it's not 
living plants and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. We've destroyed forests. We've destroyed our natural uh, yeah. biomass. And we've created waste. We cannot ask nature to digest all that waste. It's not possible. And we haven't found out a way to either combust it or return it back into a form that you can put back in the land, you know, mm -hmm. as, as, as ash, for example, yeah. from burning wood or composting everything that would normally be garbage. You know, yeah. we, we need to put that back. Yeah. So I, I know all the problems, you know. The solutions are your responsibility. <laughs> you young people are going to come up with them grand solutions to to how this works yeah. my cousin uh, is building a community and has built a community he calls it the spirit pine sanctuary uh, and his wife is a certified cob builder so all the buildings are made from mud just like my grandpa used to do only it's mm -hmm. an english uh, version you actually make round looks like corn cobs and you stack them up about this wide a mass of dirt is the best insulation against cold. It also keeps it cool in, in the summer, summertime. Yeah. Everything that they use for windows are recycled. You know, people throw away stuff, so they use that and upscale it. I'd like to invite you sometime. It's, yeah. it's quite wonderful. That'd be wonderful. So they, they grow, they planted an orchard, they planted food, they have chickens and they have goats for milk and, and uh, there's enough wood that's dying that all the heating is and cooking is done with the wood. And uh, they have composting toilets. And so everything that falls off the trees leaves, they call it duff, is used in the, in the toilet and then it decomposes and you know, they treat it after a long time it goes into the orchard yeah so they're fertilizing their orchard that's amazing yeah yeah so that's that's a place of learning place of teaching <clears throat> we had created a nonprofit years ago 90, 1997 i just remember and it was called the infinite hoop foundation <laughs> the infinite cycle yeah that circular uh, economy, not economy it, is the wrong word. Yeah. So it's, circular it's, system yes. of living. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's possible. Yeah. I have an example. And of course there are other communities that are self-sustaining. They use uh, solar panels. They're using new technology to, mm -hmm. you know, lighting. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's just a wonderful old way to, to resolve new problems. And I think there's other <clears throat> older traditions and, and teachings that they could be used yeah. if, if there was an audience that could utilize that information and change it. Yeah. So I'm hopeful. Uh, maybe people will be listening and people will be reading some of this information. Yeah and decide to come together to, to, to resolve. We can, we can take all the homeless people off the streets, you know, by building some of these things, but you'd have to get, convince the governments to assign certain areas for, for those kinds of projects. And the first inhabitants, of course, would be the people that need it. But you wouldn't have to expend a whole bunch of money to, to create it, but you would have to have everybody participate in, in creating it. Yeah. So, yeah, just another 
perspective on how we can resolve some of the problems in the process, teach each other, and come together as a community. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing when you see it working. Yeah. Absolutely. One thing I wanted to mention for for those people who are listening to this podcast is that I wish everyone could be here with us in person because there's just this feeling of, you know, we're not talking about the individual self or the ego. Like we just dove right in, into our connection with the earth. And so when you were talking about the engineers wanting to solve, you know, problems and they were doing it from their limited self-view from their mind or their ego, right? And we're not even talking on that level right now. We've gone past the ego. And I think the other thing that I just keep in my head coming back to is that, you know, we're all speaking the same words. We're all saying the same things. We're speaking different languages, you know, because the concept of being in touch with the elements. I mean, that's that's so prevalent in my faith as well and in my understanding and my upbringing that we are made of fire and water and air and ether and the earth, right? Like those five elements, that's what we are all made out of. And the fact that it's present within us and the fact that we have that responsibility, as you said, to take care of it around us. And so, you know, some of the things that you touch upon are just so, they're I mean, it's beautiful, so beautiful. But when you say, you know, that you have hope that people will grasp onto this and start to understand the magnitude of that responsibility that we have and of that debt, you know, that you were talking about earlier that we need to fill, it can be hard for people to to understand, okay, well, where do we start with all of it? Because it just seems like such an overwhelming task. But to your point earlier about starting with one person, you know, it starts within ourselves, like one action, one person. And I think one of the things to take away would be being more aware of your connection with the earth, aware of your actions. We live in such a a technology bubble now, like forget about me and mine and and greed and all that. I mean, we live in a bubble where we would rather be unaware of the problems in the world, of the things that are going on around us. Um, As a child, I used to play outside all the time. My nieces and nephews and like kids that I meet these days, they never leave the TV screen and the computer games and, and their phones. And in my head, I'm like, what are you doing? Go outside, like build things with the, the earth and, and the dirt and the leaves and, and talk to the trees and the birds and all of that, right? Like do things that kids naturally know how to do, but we, as we grow older, have learned to shut that out, to, to go away from that. And so you're right by the way we can tackle this and the magnitude of it all is just by starting with ourselves by starting with that awareness mm-hmm. of taking that time away from that technology and that the bubble that we live in and stepping outside and connecting one-on-one with each other but also one-on-one with our environment and and the world in which we we live in every day so you you reminded me of the current independent which has an article about the new school being coming forth, which is called a Thoreau School. Mm-hmm. 
which is based on nature, grades mm -hmm. one, uh, kindergarten through six. And uh, from what I read, so, so the teachings would be outdoors mm -hmm. and you would learn all kinds of different things and then how to use that in your daily, you know, learning other things. Yeah. I think it's a wonderful idea. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to touch upon was what you were talking about at the end about that circular system of living. It, I find that in a lot of places around the world, hmm. they they do still hold on to these practices that they've been taught generation by generation. And, you know, I have family in India who they are involved in organic farming and, you know, they talk about how the, the cows that they keep on their farm, they use the cow dung as fertilizer and the cow urine as fertilizer. And, you know, the, I mean, they, they understand that nothing should go to waste. This concept of waste is really, I think, something that came with colonization and commercialization. But in a lot of places, in a lot of communities, that, that doesn't exist. Even with food, right? Refrigerators have caused us to now make food in massive amounts. And yes, it's, it's convenient for people who are very busy and all that, but there's a lot that goes to waste. And if you don't have a refrigerator, you learn to make only what you eat. Hmm. Right. And so that, that concept of that circular system, again, it can be brought into our daily lives. If mm -hmm. we just start to look for areas mm -hmm. where that can be. Yeah. Two of the things that are sticking with me are the idea of rooting ourselves in our relations, as you mentioned with your practice and your prayer, is about acknowledging time and time again that we are in fact in relationship with the sun. We're not alive without the sun. If you want to look at it from, you know, a spiritual standpoint or a very literal physical standpoint, we don't live without the sun. <laughs> Um, the water and I mean, the, the moon affects, affects our waters and that also affects our life cycle. So, you know, I can imagine that some listeners might be like, oh, I don't quite understand why you talk about all these elements. Like it seems kind of out there to me, but there's very literal and physical ways that, that all of these things that we're in relationship with affect everything that we do. And we literally would not exist if, if not for these elements in these celestial bodies. And so your practice of, of rooting yourself in relationship with elements, with all living creatures on earth, plants and animals, and with other humans and recognizing distinctions between different people groups, but ultimately recognizing that we are indeed part of one human family, that is that seems to be, you know, the root of all spirituality is to recognize the relationships that we're a part of. Mm -hmm. And it really does seem like, as you, Kunjal, you were mentioning about, it's so easy in our world to engage with the things that give us a quick release. And those are things that isolate us. They take mm -hmm. us, they exactly take us out of relationships so often. And we might be learning about people, but we're not in relationship a lot of times. So rooting ourselves in our relations and then the idea of one at a time, I think that's really powerful because that's the opposite of what we want to do because we feel the urgency. We feel the urgency. Yeah. We look around and we say, things need to change right now. How can I change the most amount of people in the shortest amount of time? Because we need to turn this thing around. But maybe that mindset in and of itself is actually a violent mindset, that there's no way that that mindset can actually lead to real relationship because relationships aren't something that happen in a second. <laughs> yeah, they're not instant, um, right? They're not. 
Yeah, relationships happen by by taking time and and sitting with people and listening to people. I mean, particularly listening to indigenous people wherever we live. If we want to know about how to take care of the land that we're at, how about talking to people who've lived where you've lived for fifteen or twenty thousand years? The education that we get tells us that indigenous knowledge is not important, and that there's a new abstracted way of thinking where using fertilizers and all these different kinds of things you can make the ground say tomato even if tomatoes are not <laughs> part of the the growing region you can force a, a certain abstracted lens onto your place but it doesn't ever really fit quite right <laughs> mm -hmm. and the indigenous people are those who understand what works in this place what kinds of food grows how many people can this place hold and not just keep forcing this abstract idea of infinite growth and yeah. European vegetable gardens <laughs> on, on everything, which is so common. And Kundal, I wanted to give you an opportunity to share about the practice that you were mentioning about yeah. your own prayer to connect yourself in relationship with the mm. earth as well. Mm -hmm. So Art, when you were sharing your prayer in the morning, it is almost very similar to, to something that I practice daily as well. And so I say these two shlokas or stanzas in particular. And the first one, you know, you talked about when you first wake up, you acknowledge that spark that's within God or the divine. You acknowledge that that also exists within you. And it's a similar prayer where we say, and there's different forms, but this is the one that I say, but, Karagrevasate um, Lakshmi, Karamule Saraswati, and that means that Lakshmi, which is the goddess of wealth, is in your fingertips. Saraswati, the goddess of knowledge, is in your the base of your palm. And in the center is Lord Govind. And because God resides within you, within your own hands, you're giving thanks for that and acknowledging that. And then the next shloka is Samudra Vasane Devi. And samudra means ocean, parvata means mountain. So you're saying that Devi, Parvati, or you know, this Devi Mata or Mother Earth, the divine feminine energy, she wears the ocean as her garments. The mountain is her body. And we essentially are then asking that before I step onto you, please forgive me for stepping onto you. Wow. And so, I mean, different language, but saying the same thing, right? So, so. you're absolutely right. I had the opportunity, the, the privilege to be invited to, to share my perspective with other spiritual practices here in Santa Barbara. And However it happened, I was the last one to, to speak. And how I began was, before you were practicing your current faith, you were a tribal. Every culture in the world began around a fire. That's the beginning of all spiritual practices. And so I was introducing myself as being before them. But in reality, of course, we all were there. You know, yeah. at the same, we just forgot. Mm -hmm. And depending on who created that current religion, whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism or 
being a Muslim or whatever, somebody decided to change that simple action into the necessity to build a cathedral or a mosque or yep. uh, why, you know, was my question. <clears throat> it's right here around you, yeah. the sacred, the, the sacred spaces where we are, where other human beings gather is a sacred space, mm. hopefully. Yeah. So <clears throat> um, I got more questions from the audience uh, than these other uh, spiritual people. Um, because it's, I think it's, people are waiting, they're, they're wanting, they're desiring, and they're really anxious mm -hmm. to be given another way of interacting with the world rather than having to become indoctrinated or uh, limited to a certain uh, way of doing it. Mm -hmm. All my teachers was that I remember would say, "Do it your way." Yeah, that's that's what it comes down to. Be we each have a different way of seeing the world, and so you develop your own way of interacting with it. Yeah, there's some wonderful, wonderful teachings that I've been exposed to, and it all comes back down to the same thing. You know, wherever you are, do what you can with what you have where you're at. And, and to to and to teach people that one person at a time can. Yeah. Wonderful. I'm so grateful for this invitation to converse with all of you. I'm really having a good time. Would you be willing to offer a blessing or mm -hmm. something for us and for the listeners, all who call Santa Barbara home? I would be honored to <clears throat> share. The blessing comes through me. I'm not such a holy person that I can just touch somebody and transform them. I mean, there are some yogi and some really wonderful people who's just being in their presence can, can change you, you know. So I'm asking, I'm asking my connection to the spirit world to come through and to call on all that's good, all that's beautiful, all that is kind and generous to bless these wonderful people that I'm with. Bless you with health and happiness and protection, safety, abundance for you and your families and all those people that you are in relationship with. May you all enjoy happiness and joy. May it please you, may it please you. Kwame, Kwame, Kwame. The Shumish word is Kwame. Kwame. Yeah. It's may it please you. Mm. It's, it's used in giving as well as receiving. Mm. May it please you to gift me. Yeah. You know, it's mm. a reciprocity. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's difficult to give if there's no one to receive it. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you very much. Kwame. Yeah. yeah. Kwame. Thank you for joining us in conversation with Art Cisneros. I really appreciated hearing Art's journey and his connection with his ancestors and all creatures and plants of this land. It was a refreshing opportunity to reintegrate with our roles and responsibilities in and towards nature, and it was a beautiful reminder of what we all hold sacred. Please continue these conversations by sharing the episodes with your friends and family, and picking up the conversation from your own experiences and wisdom. 
Next week, we'll be having a conversation with Nikki Ramage, an associate pastor at the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, which will be the final episode for this season of the Human Family Podcast. If you've enjoyed this show, click subscribe, share it around, and send us a message on social media to let us know what you've appreciated. We'll continue to promote our episodes on social media, so follow us and share our posts on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Human Family Pod.